From St. Augustine's University in Raleigh, North Carolina, Falcons Fly Radio brings you the Blue Zone. Focusing on athletics at St. Aug, here's a recent conversation with student broadcaster Dale Jackson and new football coach Howard Feggins. How you doing today, Coach? I'm doing great. What about yourself? I'm just great to be in your presence. I <laughs> got a legend right here, man. No, so, no legend. So first things first, I'm going to ask you where you were originally from, Coach. I am born and raised in South Hill, Virginia. Okay. Uh, right outside of Henderson, North Carolina. It uh, took me about an hour and a half to get there. Okay. It was a small town growing up with one traffic light. Okay, okay. And what was it like for you growing up? You know, it was awesome. Uh, my mom and dad was married for 52 years. That's a blessing itself. Uh, raised up with two brothers and three sisters. Uh, so it was three and three. And we all played sports, and therefore um, they were very supportive. Uh, and those uh, football years, they missed one game. That was my mom. She had to go to the hospital one time. Other than that, outside of that, um, they were at every game. Wow, that is amazing. You know, that's, that shows a lot of dedication that they mm-hmm. had to you. Mm-hmm. So where did you play college football? I'm a UNC Chapel Hill grad, a North okay. Carolina Tar Heel grad, um, full scholarship athlete there. I was a running back coming out of high school, and they showed me the depth chart. As a running back, I was six, and they said, as a freshman, you go play corner, you can be third. I said, sure. So I became a defensive back. Okay, so you like the defensive side of things, huh? Yes. Okay, okay. So what was it like for you at Chapel Hill? You know, it was a great experience because, again, being a small town boy, you, you saw him on TV. You know, you saw the Michael Jordans, you saw Kenny Smith, James Worthy. Uh, football-wise, you knew of Lawrence Taylor, okay? Um, and so those are things that, wow, I got an opportunity to go here now. And, and, and my parents, and, and how ironic you asked that question, my wife is at the Carolina Inn in Chapel Hill. That was my first official visit. Oh, wow. And she visits a friend there now, so today. Kind of interesting. Telling how the world works. Yes, it is. So what, what were some of the biggest things that you could take away from your time at Chapel Hill? I think the biggest thing for me at Chapel Hill has been that you're around some top talent, when you come from a small town, um, you're the best. And when you get to a, a big time program as Chapel Hill, you have to understand that you're just another guy now. And so, but I grew up with a work ethic from my parents that I knew that for me to have an opportunity in life, for opportunity in football, that I had to outwork everybody. And so, but outside of that, I mean, it was, it was a great experience. and. Um, my work ethic, I think, helped get me to where I'm at. So after your time at Chapel Hill, Coach, where did you think things were going to lead you? Did you want to jump straight into coaching, or did you want to become a player first? I'm just like every other young man. We all got dreams. That dream was to play in the NFL. And, and I go back to uh, my Pop Warner coach that took my brother and I in the seventh grade to Duke University versus Georgia Tech. And I looked up there, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I want to play in a big arena. And of course, watching the NFL people uh, play, uh, you go, that's a dream. So I, I knew at some point, um, uh, probably my junior year, I'm not going to say and, and pat myself on the back, but I have to, but I ran four threes back to back. USA Today paper, if I can ever find it again, they used to list the top 25 DBs, 20, top 25 guys in each positions. And uh, I was one of those top 25 DBs coming out. And uh, my senior year, uh, we were playing Oklahoma 
out in Oklahoma. They had just won a national championship. Byron Bosworth just left from there. And I got my ankle rolled up on by a receiver. And so I only played three games. Uh, my senior season, um, in those three games, um, I should say five total uh, games, but my last three games, I was limping. Pro day, I had a 19-inch vertical. That was my senior year, but they worked because they knew I was very fast. I had the opportunity to get a, uh, become a free agent uh, with the New England Patriots. Wow. So let me know about your Patriots career. Tell me about it. Well, I'm going to go back to, again, a small town boy used to see these guys uh, on TV. You know, um, uh, what's his name? My kid, uh, Andre Tippett. Uh, he's probably going to be a Hall of Famer. I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer yet, uh, but he probably should be from the Patriots. You know, he's there. You get to see those guys. Raymond Berry, who was a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer receiver um, uh, that played with the Jets. Uh, well, he was the head coach. And uh, so I'm in La La Land, you know, seeing these guys. You see on TV, like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That's all I could say to myself. But it was a blessing for me and, and, and for my parents to uh, come to a football game. Uh, and I can shed a tear today for it because I, I remember seeing them in the stands and because I told them as a kid, hey, I don't need to learn anything because I'm going to go to the pros. And for them to sit there, for me to be able to pay their way to get there, uh, it, was, it was just an amazing feeling. And, uh, and then for them to watch me on TV, whether I was at Chapel Hill or at the Patriots, it was a God gift that I was blessed to give back to my parents by doing or accomplishing that, that dream. Well, I'm really glad that you were able to reach those goals that you set out for yourself, Coach, and it's part of your testimony that is able to help motivate your players Correct. throughout your coaching career. Mm -hmm. So I see that you have a lot of things in here and yes. a lot of different helmets. So I noticed the London Monarchs. Uh -huh. Can you tell me about that? Yes, in 91, the World League came out. That was the World League. And... Um, we all went to Orlando, Florida, everybody in the country that was part of the potential draft to go into the World League. And um, was there a good three or four days evaluation? And honestly, I was hoping to stay in the States, okay? But I got drafted to London, and um, I had a World League card somewhere around here, right here, right back. And uh, anyway, uh, so I got drafted to London. Again, the small town boy, first time overseas. Uh, I'm in Wembley Stadium. There's a picture over there in Wembley Stadium. They don't built a new one now, uh, the top right there. And um, so I'm in La La Land again. And the great part about it was this. The coach took us like uh, 35, 40 minutes outside of London. Uh, Larry Kennan was his name. He was the offensive coordinator of, of, of uh, the Oakland Raiders back in the day. And um, so make a long story short, he said, look, we're going to love each other or we're going to hate each other. We're going to become a team. Well, we loved each other and we won the World Bowl at that year. We called the World Bowl and the World League. The first one, 1991, we went 10-1, uh, I believe. And uh, blessing is, I, I, I was, it was a great experience. I mean, to, to be again in La La Land, where we went from their team in Frankfurt, Germany. I uh, get out from the airplane, they got M16s. Now, I'm talking back in 1991. I'm like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. The Audubon, where you can drive 100 miles per hour. And so you get to experience that. You know, went to Barcelona. I mean, it's, it's dream come true for me. 
you know, then we flew, we flew back here to TNT in America. I've been blessed. I think it's safe to say, based off what I've heard, that football opened doors that you couldn't even imagine. No question. No question. And I go back to people believing in you. Parent support. I, my Pop Warner coach, again, who took me and my brother and I to the Duke University football game to say, hey, look, you guys can make it. You guys can do it. He saw that when I was in the seventh grade. So when you get that support system and you just take that dream, but understand through my parents, you still got to work, you still got to work. You take that work ethic wherever you go and I get it, I was blessed. I really was. That's amazing, Coach. So after your career with the London Monarchs, where did that take you afterwards? Well, the, the interesting thing about it, um, I went from the Patriots to the Giants, New York Giants. Again, that guy that I played with was Lawrence Taylor, a Hall of Famer. He was with the Giants. Picture of him right there. Phil Sims, Giants. So I got cut. Bill Parcells said, I'm going to bring you back. I'm sitting there waiting, you know, I'm on my third year in the league, I'm waiting. He never called me back. He brought a rookie in. Well, that's the year they won the Super Bowl. Wow. I saw Bill Parcell probably 15 years later at the NFL Combine. I introduced myself to him. He probably forgot who the heck I was, but it was one of those normal meetings. But, you know, after the World League, you know, it was like it came back the second year and we, you know, I was back in London again. It was a great experience. This show called Ted Lasso. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a guy who coached football here in America. And then he said, well, we're hired for a football job in London. And it was soccer. And so it's a series. It's pretty good. And they actually practice at the same facility that we, uh, they play the same facility that we practice at my second year. So to watch that on TV, hey, I was there. But, um, you know, from there, you know, I, um, I decided to get into coaching. I knew probably in the fifth or sixth grade that I want to be a teacher just because I had great teachers. I kept with a teacher in a third grade teacher. She died about three years ago at 102 years old. I talked to her every year. 102 is a real Yes. And um, Daphne, Daphne Carp, uh, Daphne Carp, Carp, uh, Copley. But anyway, um, so I knew that. So through football, and when I decided to do this crazy coaching profession, my first job was at a high school in Cincinnati, Ohio. I was coaching D-line. Knew nothing about D-line, because I'm a skilled guy. Running back coming out of high school, DB, and uh, I'm coaching D-line. And so I had to go learn how to you know, be a D-line coach. Uh, Terry Combs, he's now at UC. He was at University of Tennessee uh, Titan at one time. But anyway, so I went from there. Uh, to coaching two years in high school in Cincinnati. My first college coaching job was at Wingate University. I coached secondary there. Uh, Doug Malone, I, we talked actually about two weeks ago, and um, uh, coached secondary. And what year is this now? That was 95, 96. Okay. And, uh, and I still got a relationship with players back then. And one of the things that I think I pride myself on is the ability to evaluate. And I get there... Dorian Lane, I talked to him also, uh, six foot two, played corner, but I knew he wasn't a corner because he had slow feet. And so I decided to move him to safety, and, and the head coach said, hey, look, uh, are you sure? I said, yeah. I said, you don't have great enough feet. Well, that young man became an All-American, okay? And, and so, 
Huh? At cornerback? At, at, at safety. Okay. I moved him to safety. He had six interceptions, something like that. And, yeah, so make a long story short. So now, oh, you know, I'm a former player and all that. Now I can coach. Well, you know, so I took that ability and for two years at Wingate, and I went to uh, Miami, Ohio. Uh, Kevin Wilson, who's now the head coach at Tulsa, just got the job there this year, was the offensive coordinator. And because we played together at Chapel Hill, he was a GA. He said, you ready to coach receivers? I said, sure, go from D2 to D1, why not? So I went to Miami, Ohio, started coaching receivers. And it was great for me because I'm a DB. And I, my job to help them understand what DBs are doing. So when that DB come up to the line of scrimmage, you better know how to beat that guy. You better know how to look for it. Because I experienced it myself, because I was taught plenty of lessons as a DB in the pros. And I talked to them, what are you looking at? What are you doing? So I, I was able to handle that. And so therefore it helped me a lot. And I was younger back then, and I used to wear cleats and cover them. And so, but it helped them grow. So it was there for two years. And we went 10 and, uh, 10 and 1 and 8 and 3. Randon Moss was at Marshall. We beat them 45 21. What? Uh, and so we were, we were pretty good. We came to Chapel Hill. My mom had a blue pom pom and a red pom pom. <laughs> and she was there to support Chapel Hill and me. And so um, we beat Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia Tech, I think, was 11th in the country. Uh, and uh, Carl Torbush was the first coach, first job there. After Mac Brown left, they were like uh, maybe 11th in the country. But we upset them. And so our whole staff got a job opportunity at Northwestern University in Big Ten. Mm. And our head coach met after convention, guys, I got the head job. Uh, who want to go? I do, Big Ten. You know, and so uh, we went 3-8 and eight that first year. Uh, our head coach was old school, um, hit them in the mouth type of guy. Yes, you can get away with it in Miami, Ohio, because you were one of the top schools. At Northwestern University, going against the Michigans in the world, Ohio State, no. And so we started the uh, spread offense uh, from Clemson University, and in 2000, we were able to win the Big Ten title wow. in that one season. So it was a turnaround like that. The turnaround because the Big Ten wasn't ready for the spread. And they were old school, and we knew uh, that our personnel couldn't match the personnel with them, but we felt that we could spread them out and do the zone read stuff that's you know very popular now. Uh, it was an awesome thing that we did, and uh, and it was you know we, I did lose to Drew Brees that year. Uh, that next year I lost to um, um, uh, what's it Ben uh, Rockenberger at uh, he was at Miami Ohio. They came up, they they beat us up there, and so I can say I lost to I can say two Hall of Fame. So, uh, quarterback. so how did it feel losing to the program that you had previously coached in? Well, I would say this. When I watched Ben Rothenberger warm up, I knew we were in trouble. Mm. Uh, but for me, though, I mean, they had, uh, I forgot the other young man's name. Uh, they, they, they were pretty good. I mean, because even at us from Miami, Ohio, they were known for upsetting bigger schools. And they got this uh, track record that they keep in the boards up there that uh, they show you know, who you upset, you know, for us to come down to Chapel Hill and beat them, for us to go to Virginia Tech and beat them. So it was one of those type of things where it wasn't a surprise, but at the same time, um, you know, they did. So we won a Big Ten title there. And I was there for five years at Northwestern University. Then I, I knew I wanted to be a head coach. I became an offensive coordinator at um, Eastern Michigan University. 
And that was a great experience as a, as a brand new coordinator. Um, my job recruiting the inner city of Detroit, I had to really learn about how tough inner city of Detroit was. Great young men, but you know, it's Detroit. And but it was a great experience, and um, you know, I, my only claim to fame there was that uh, I competed against uh, Antonio Brown when he was in Central Michigan, and we beat them three out of four years. And I said, I can, I can say I beat Antonio Brown. I can say I beat <laughs> Moss. And um, so um, I got let go. Um, the head coach and I had a different thought process of things. I go from there uh, to Sacramento State. Okay. And that was a unique experience. I'm just going to be blunt, honest with you. Uh, my black colleague, friends, uh, 20 of my years ago now, hey, stay away from HBCU. Stay away from HBCU. There's this, 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 and that. And make a long story short, I said, I need a job. I get to South Carolina State. I knew, buddy. He said, how if I get you, man, I'll match your salary. used to measure. What? Okay, cool. So he said, we don't have the facility. I know they didn't have the facility because the locker room's leaking. Okay? And, uh, but we're going to win three. Before you got there, they were already leaking. Oh, yeah, because that first year there, we couldn't take anybody on an official visit because of the fact that it was leaking. We just made a so take that we're, we're working it out. So how were y'all able to recruit? Bro, when you're good, you know how to recruit. That's another story. Uh, so anyway, uh, so I told Buddy, that's a Buddy, I wish I had this talent in Eastern Michigan. And my exact words are, we don't win here, we should be fired. We went on and we won three consecutive championships, MEAC. And in 2009, we're a black college national championship. Come on now. So I'm not going to get into the business side of things, but so after three consecutive years of of winning the title, and again, I'm part of it, I was that part of it, I got rings to validate it, Um, he decided to let you go. Well, what I do, buddy? And uh, he said, you're making too much money. I said, no, no, buddy, it's not. But I, buddy called me to congratulate me about this job. We still have a relationship, okay? There's a business side of this profession that you don't like, but it is what it is. So I ended up going to Norfolk State in the MIAC, okay? Uh, just an overseer coach. I'm blessed and lucky. was part of my fourth championship in a row. Wow, so the... That, that championship came the same as the uh-huh. next season? Uh-huh. Four, four years in a row. So I, I get promoted to the offensive coordinator the next year, and then uh, the head coach wanted to coordinate my third year there, seven years of coordinator, and he called 100% of the plays. I called zero. Pete Adrian is his name, and I called him about two years ago, not doing great on health. And, um, and, and I won't get into the whole discussion, but make a long story short, though, um, after that, I was like, I'm not going back to HBCU. And um, I uh, actually got a high school job. I coached my son. He's going to come to East Miami. He played at Murray State University. I have an older son in Virginia Beach. Okay. And so I coached him a senior in high school. Everybody's shocked. How the heck we got you here? I just coached football. Bowling Green, Kentucky. Make a long story short, um, uh, Guy Morris, you don't know who Guy Morris is, but Guy Morris was the head coach of the University of Kentucky, head coach of Baylor, coaching in the NFL for probably like 20 years. That's a lot of experience. He had retired. He came all the way from Texas to coach with me at a high school. Okay? 
program averaged about 40 kids a, ga- a year, four games a year. I went there, I had 80 kids there, won six games. The AD that didn't hire me, a new guy came in two months after I got the job, decided to let me let go. And I can show you, if, if, I had, if I was on Facebook, up until about five years ago, this took place in 2014, 15, um, they was constantly talking on Facebook why they let me go. The principal stepped down, and I'm gonna get out into all that type of stuff, but the principal stepped down, him and I got a great relationship. It was the AD that did it. And um, I think they may have won maybe four games since I left. Combined? Combined. Jesus, okay. I they were hurting. Oh yeah, and so, because he wanted his friends. So make a long story short, the new principal that took over and said, give me your uh, information or evaluation why they let you go. I said, you wanna know the truth? That's a good old boy network. And so I sent him my information. He calls me back up and uh, he hired. Why did they let you go? I said, it's a good old boy network. There's nothing to show you that go. So anyway, so I literally took three years off. Three years off. My son's a freshman in college now. I took three years off. I said, all right, I'm going to be a dad, um, a, a, a father, a husband. And Murray stayed from Cincinnati five hours one way. And we went to every game away at home. I mentioned to you about my dad, my mom and dad did the same thing. We did the same thing. Five hours one way. We were still overnight. I don't care if the, if it was, if the drive was nine hours, guess what? We stayed overnight. So we supported him. And, um, and, and during that time, probably one of the best times of my years, because I needed to get a job. And you're going to be the first reporter I ever shared this with. So other people know. I worked at Amazon in the warehouse. Really? Mm-hmm. Three years, 10 hours a day, um, Sunday through Thursday. No one knew people, because they just knew me as Howard. That's all. Now, I had other job opportunities from card salesman to insurance agent to real estate, but my sister called me the day of my mom, uh, not the, the year of my mom's. Uh, death and said, look, why don't you be a consultant for these young kids? You've done this for a long time. Help these young kids. So I started doing that. And so therefore, it gave me a chance to go to high school games, gave me a chance to definitely go to my son game. And so I was having young men uh, with, I had my whole day, and my email is Sack Sports right now. I got certified here at Sack Sports. Make a long story short, I had a former NFL scouts, Denny Marson, who passed away a few years ago, uh, was a former uh, D-line coach, D-coordinator at Chapel Hill, coach Michael Strahan at the New York Giants, he was working for me. And, and so because they're doing it, evaluating, and I'm giving them money. So I, so I got a call from my offensive line coach that was at Eastern Michigan, out in Colorado State University, Pueblo. And um, are you ready to get back to coach? No, man, I'm enjoying my time. My wife is a retired Delta Airline employee, so we can fly free anywhere. I mean, within that, that I think that uh, third year uh, out of job, hey, look, my son never been to France. So we're like, why not take him to Paris? We've been there. Out the blue, my wife said, let's go there for New Year's Eve. I said, sure, why not? Hey, my son's in town. Hey, look, come, we're going to pack. We're going to leave to go to Paris. So we flew there, got that Friday night, New Year's Eve it was that Saturday. We spent Saturday there and, and New Year's Day, and we flew back, first class. So that was, my point is, I, I'm living okay. So, um, to back up to the Amazon, 
It helped educate me a lot about people outside of sports. To work with people in Amazon, to see and know, working right across from people, I've never been to a beach before. I've never left a state before. I'm just, again, this small town boy of travel. Everything. And you got people who have not even went to a beach. You have families who have lost jobs, that their whole town family, mom, dad, the daughters, and the, and the sons all working in one spot. So it helped me see the real world better. So anyway, I went to Colorado State University of Pueblo, a school that shut down, not school, football team was shut down maybe 20 years. My online coach, John, um, um, what's his name? Shoot. Simon, Chris Simon just called me up and said, you want to coach running backs? No, I'm good. He said, we win out here. I said, sure. So they had won seven championships in a row. Seven. seven championships in a row. And in that seven, within that seven championships in a row, they had won a national championship. Division two, just like us. So I get there in 18, was lucky, was part of their you know, eighth in a row. Then next year, we, we, we didn't win it, but we were good enough to go to the playoff. So those four years there was a great experience for me because I saw how John Riston uh, created the program, what he's established, how he did things there. And, uh, but I knew that once the George Floyd, and I, 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 I know God is my witness, helped me get to where I am today. But when she told me, hey, look, let's go celebrate, not celebrate, go honor and protest in Colorado Springs, which was the Olympics headquarters. So we go up there and we protest. I'm walking around with a sign, just like everybody else. As you know, quote, college coaches, professionals, they don't get into protests. But when she got me to go there, and I saw what happened to him, but for me to stand there, to go, my head started reflecting my history. When a bus driver said to my brother and I to go to the back of the bus when we were in the third grade. When John Board, who knows Dr. McPhail, I did not know that until my day of my press conference, uh, he congratulated me. John Board is a teammate from high school, and I seen him on, on, on Facebook in, 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 the, in the White House. Like, how the heck he knows the president? Well, he's the president of the um, Black Farmers Association in the country. So you put up John Boyd's name there. He's been all on CNN and the White House multiple times. So I said, look, I, I want to try to meet him. He said, well, he's speaking, I think it was 2015, in Selma, Alabama, at the, at the march on the Pettus Bridge. So I get there to meet John. I ain't seen him forever, hoping to get to meet the president. And he gets there late, so therefore I'm hoping to be in the first row and stand in the 15th row, so I can get the sense to shake hands. But walk around that town of Selma, Alabama, to see that bridge, to know that the name of the bridge was a guy that was, was uh, either he had, I forgot the name of the guy, Pettus. And he either owned slavery or something, but his name is still up there. To see Congress Lewis uh, speak at that event. When Congress Lewis uh, passed away, to know that these people from Martin Luther King sacrificed and uh, beaten and should have been killed. And what are we doing for our own sake? So I knew then that I needed to get back in in order to help. So when I start off by talking about the Zooms, those Zooms that I had from 2020 from that incident and what more I could do to help minorities in this country, but not a minority, but people in this country. Uh, I had stuff on black history. It's black history stuff I never knew. Like I didn't know that quote back in 1898, 
probably 95-90% of blacks in America was, was Republicans. And how that whole transition. A lot of it took place right here in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Not Winston, uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. In North Carolina? Yes. Are you serious? Yes, I'm very serious. 18, and then I didn't get the whole transition. But anyway, I, I, I get panel guests, black historian professors that educated coaches. I, we didn't talk football, just social issues in life. Like about the, the, um, the, the uh, what you call the South Side. If you heard the South Side, a lot of places, probably hardcore. Because I never knew about redlining district. Redlining district means that when you're a minority, that you only can live in these sections here. Therefore, you never have great credit to get along. So therefore, it's called South Side today, or wherever in hardcore, that those boundaries were all we had to live in back then. And so when you go to get a bank loan, they show you where you live, you're not going to get there. So you want to know about history. So anyway, I learned a lot, okay? I had one on white privileges, white coaches and black coaches. Because again, I'm trying to educate the country, educate us, educate white people. And uh, white coaches on there, one of the players on the team today, Antonio King, um, um, coach, high school coach from Raleigh, North Carolina. And again, I'm in Colorado, was on, on my Zoom. And I had a white coach and a black coach, both out of Idaho, didn't know who they were. A month later, they sent me a video of what they did to try to show whites, their white team, and the black people that they had, the black players, and how we can work together. But not only that, but show the white privilege side. A lot of white people don't understand their privileges. They don't understand that when you walk out there, you get looked at, hey, I'm a former NFL player, right? I'm not a guy. But I've experienced racism because I'm a black man. I go, even in Boston, I go look for, I mean, it was uh, Gore-Tex. It was $100 back then. Man, that's expensive. But I had the money. And I go to the store and say, look, can you uh, give me the, your best uh, uh, sweatsuit, right? And I'm looking for Gore-Tex. They take me to the cotton stuff. Okay? Waverly uh, Jackson uh, could be my stepbrother, best friend. Went to my high school, former NFL player, block for Peyton Manning. He goes to a place uh, to buy Harley. They ain't talk to him. He's a big brother, but he played off the line, block for Peyton Manning. Okay? Mm -hmm. And he got so pissed off, he walked off to another Harley Davidson and brought back two in a trailer. Ooh. Guys, I could have bought this. But my point is this. So that was educated. Then another one I had was on um, reform races. Probably my most powerful one. And I'm going to start out by, I don't care whether you're Republican or Democrat, Independent, I'm not into it. Everybody will like who they like. I'm not going to tell you who you should date, who you should marry, or who you should vote for. That's not my, my point is. And I'm going to skip over a lot, but I'm going to just go directly to the, to the zoo. I say this because at one point in this country, there was a huge division when Donald Trump was the president. Whether you want to say the Republican and Democrat, or you want to say the white or the blacks, but there was a division on how you look at it. Okay? When he said he was going to first run, I said to myself, you know what, I'm probably going to vote for him. But I felt then there was something. I said to my wife, I think there's going to be a civil war in this country. That was before he ran. A civil war? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I said that every year. So the last two years, the huge division took place. So this reform racist Zoom that I had was in October, before the January 6th incident, okay? 
Greg Reese is, uh, was a redneck for Black Lives. Was on my Zoom. Scott Shepard, I'm watching a, a PBS thing one day, and he's a, a Scott Shepard, a former Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Was on my Zoom. Tim Garrett, a former neo-Nazi, was on my Zoom from Germany. Black man, Richard Power, grew up in Flint, Michigan, grew up in a Ku Klux Klan area, um, hated white people on my Zoom. Well, these people all were reform based on certain situations that happened in life. And even Scott Shepard was raised by a black man. You can go look him up. So, uh, Daryl Davis, I don't know if you know Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis, a black man, was considered in the Ku Klux Klan. I had a white girl in Cincinnati at a sports bar to say, hey, look, I did a thesis on him. So for many years, I had heard that. Look him up. I couldn't get him on because he was busy. His job was, he had infiltrated there, they liked him, and therefore, again, they um, left, left him in there, but he was trying to help them understand black people. So I'm gonna say all of that because on that Zoom, I use Hugh Jackson, a great example, down in Grandma right now, you know. He asked probably a lot of questions. A lot of these questions, because I'm interviewing these guys before they get on, okay? So I'm the host, so all I do is sit back and Q and A. They share their story, they ask questions. So I brought that same question back up of my concern. Is there going to be a civil war in this country, Scott? TM? And their exact words in October, and they said, no, there will not be. There will be a political war. My teammate, Victor Bullock from college, said, look, which side of the government is they going to take? The black side, the white side, the Republican side, the Democrat side? We couldn't answer that. So when that incident took place on January the 6th, January 6th, we were probably, I think all of us was texting each other, January the 8th or something like that. Guys, I saw it, and we talked about it in October before it happened. Make a long story short, I didn't, knew I needed to be a head coach. I got on a federal stage and called physical coordinator. They won four years in a row, and I was able to help them win their first title, Coach Hayes' first title. And I got this opportunity to come here and, and I knew the lack of things they had here. Facilities, um, a lack of good players. And my job to change that. So there's probably a lot of stuff I probably have talked about to you via, but it's true. So that's why I'm here. Well, thank you so much, Coach. I appreciate your time today. Appreciate you, man. And I wish you the best for this upcoming Thank you, season. man, I appreciate it. You know, we're gonna, we got some work to do, but we're going to be all right. This episode of The Blue Zone with St. Augustine's University's new football coach, Howard Feggins, with student broadcaster Dale Jackson. The Blue Zone from Falcons Fly Radio, the WAUG Network, and St. Augustine's University in Raleigh, North Carolina.